All right. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, everyone. I am extremely humbled, very honored, and very grateful that we have with us today someone who I've gotten to know privately, who I can now call a friend um, by the name of Jeff. But before introducing him, I would like to say that Jeff and I have had some very, very um, uh, deep behind the scenes conversations with respects to the phenomenon, uh, encompassing all aspects of the phenomenon from the nuts and bolts side of things to the uh, philosophical ontological sides of things all the way to being able to and these are Jeff's words not mine. Uh, please tell me if I'm uh, correct in quoting you here sir, the emergence of, of order through a pattern, if I'm not mistaken, but without further ado. Jeff, how you doing, brother? Thank you for coming on, and I know it's a mouthful. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to be here. Uh, I've enjoyed the conversations, and uh, you know, I started interacting with you. I've I've spoken with other podcasters before, but it was anecdotal, nothing in depth. But I've really enjoyed uh, the the level of fidelity and 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 um, nuance in the discussions you have and in your show. So, and I really think that's what's required. Uh, to address this topic fully and effectively, not in the typical uh, bumper sticker slash Twitter mode that the the topic unfortunately garners a lot of the time. Um, and so, and like like so many people, so many people have had experiences. I have been hesitant to talk about lots of things, and I probably won't get into detail about lots of things. But I felt like if I believe in the topic, I understand how important it is to the human history at this point in time then if i think i have something constructive to say i should participate well let me say jeff first and foremost i want to thank you for even having the, the the courage the effort to reach out to me privately let alone to you know after lots of time discussing going public on this side so from on the bottom of my heart on behalf of myself on behalf of uh, many, many other people out there, whether it's the average person that's just simply interested in the project or other uh, veterans who I know from various areas uh, or various walks of life from different professions, but veterans nonetheless that watch this show. Thank you so very much, sir. Um, before we delve into sort of just, uh, you know, different angles of the phenomenon and your perspective and what have you, if I may ask, um, which uh, which deployments and, and jobs have you served in, uh, in in the military in the United States federal government? Sure. So I, I served uh, uh, for a little over 24 years. Uh, my first combat deployment was with the 82nd Airborne. That was the first Gulf War. Most My second deployment was as a military advisor embedded with the Afghan National Army. Somebody called an ETT, embedded trainer, and uh, part of something called Task Force Phoenix 2, which no longer exists, like a lot of organizations. Um, and that was as a part of a, a handpicked task force that was deployed to that. My for I know we were talking off air about what was my MOS, and I know we've got some vets walking. So, so to give people a frame of reference, my primary MOS in grade is the Lum Bravo Five Victor, uh, retired as a senior NCO. My secondary MOS is that you know got me into the into the intelligence paradigm are 35 Lima and 35 Fox. And my my pathway into that career field is unconventional because it was through counter narcotics and through a congressionally funded program at the state local that embedded military assets with state local and federal police uh, for counter narcotics. In that role in that capacity, I ended up wearing a bunch of different hats. So most of my focus was, was both counter narcotics and counterterrorism. Uh, depending on the agency, the situation, et cetera. Um, so it's safe to say various forms of military intelligence. Yes. Got you. Got you. Yeah. I, I mean, we can talk about that too. I mean, I probably okay to tell you a lot of things. My knee jerk reaction is to not talk about certain things. And that is very common in my experience. And that speaks to some of the secrecy that you know enshrouded this uh topic because it is very culturally uh the norm to not talk even when you can um but it, but at any rate so i my, i did my first seven and a half years in the army i got out of the first gulf war uh like i said was with, with the 82nd at the time 
And uh, I got into law enforcement for a handful of years. So I was both a correctional officer and a police officer. And then because I had now a military and law enforcement background, I was hired by this program. And then I was put on a, an MI career track, uh, which served me well in my second deployment um, because I functioned as the team's intelligence officer. So were the S2. So I trained and led the Afghan intelligence staff as well as facilitated a lot of things in reference to various echelons of human, uh, which I probably shouldn't talk that much about. But at any rate, um, and on top of all of that, uh, you know, I'm a lifelong martial artist, so I've been invested in both Eastern and Western martial arts for decades. Um, I'm also invested in both Eastern and Western esoteric traditions. So I've had the good fortune of having access to Mikkyo Buddhism. Mikkyo is the esoteric Buddhism, both usually comes in two flavors, both, you know, Shingong and Tendai. I'm a Shingong guy because uh, I had access to an actual uh, Shingong Senga, you know, phenomenal opportunity. For the record, I'm not any good at it. My uh, my Japanese is horrible. My Sanskrit is works. But nonetheless, I, I benefited a lot from it. I'm also a Chikon Reiki practitioner. I also have a, a pretty long investment on the Western esoteric side. So I'm, I'm both a Freemason and a Rosicrucian. Um, and I've been invested in a lot of related disciplines to that for some time. Well, um, oh, sorry. No, and then, then the other thing I was going to say, uh, which I almost wanted to skip over, but I've also had my own lifelong experiences, which I generally do not speak about for a number of reasons. Right. Uh, well, I wanted to say before we go on, Jeff, so sorry. Um, I actually wanted to say, first and foremost, thank you for everything that you've done. And given the um, very dynamic background that you've had in various roles within, you know, law enforcement, government, counterterrorism, narcotics, you name it. And I will I do plan to ask as well about your what you've learned from the Eastern versus Western martial arts. But before we go there, do you find and we've we've talked about this uh, privately before, but do you find that the intelligence world or the intelligence community, perhaps not so much because they're intelligence, but because of the uh, perhaps the way in which um, the, the the intelligence and military intelligence mindset thinks is acting as sort of a a uh, threshold or litmus test, for lack of a better example, of what the phenomenon is trying to convey to the rest of the masses? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, and it's funny you mentioned that because it's one I've considered myself, is that the, the phenomenon interacts with people from, from all walks of life without question. So you certainly don't have to be part of a certain career field to have that experience. However, I sometimes think that it interacts with certain kinds of people with specificity and that presents us from certain demographics. And, and, and so I, I, I've come to suspect there are a lot more experiencers in the establishment, be it the military, law enforcement, or the intelligence communities uh, than people realize. And the reason for that is because the way the intelligence mind, a lot of people in that paradigm pattern and associate. So in that in that world, you can learn to, to perceive and even act upon multiple layers of narrative simultaneously, which is what I believe is, is absolutely crucial in understanding the phenomenon. And so that, you know, I, I, I wonder if that's that the phenomenon interacts with that kind of thinker for a very specific reason. Well, it's interesting you say that because many people speak on the idea of the phenomenon moving past the nuts and bolts to a point where, without me going too much on a tangent here, this concept that, you know, we have solids, liquids, and gases. Okay, well, then what's above that, for lack of a better term? We could say light waves or something like this. And if the phenomenon acts in that regard, one could make a very strong argument that there is an omnipresence. And so if the phenomenon is omnipresent, which speaks to the, you know, non-locality, as Einstein said, spooky action at a distance, it would imply, to your point, sir, that the phenomenon can be doing multiple things at once, which is what just so happens to be the same set of whether you can call it compartmentalization or training that individuals like yourself went through. And I take it you find very stark similarities there. Yeah, so I've been working on it for the last couple of years. And I just have to actually get it down to, to putting it on paper. But 
developing a situational estimate and assessment of the phenomenon. And one of the conclusions I've come to is uh, I treat the phenomenon as an intelligence service, not for any nefarious reason, but specifically because of its modes of operation and expected end states. The way it acts uh, in front of what audience and to what could be the perceived ends. Those things make me see it as an intelligence entity. I see what uh, you're Back to your first question. So there's what I call the 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 triad of cosmotheological constants, right? So that's panpsychic monism, emanation theology, and the primacy of consciousness. That triad, the phenomena and ourselves fit into. Okay, well, thank you so much for clarifying that. And do you find more of those, we could say, um, for lack of a better term, data points reminiscent within uh, Western or Eastern martial arts, whether it's the mindset or the philosophy of the of the martial artists? Yeah, that's that's martial arts are a big, big, big place. Um, so my my parent martial art in the Eastern sense is what's known as Budo Taijutsu. In the 80s, it was often known, 80s and 90s, and sometimes still today, it was often known by the much more storied and infamous ninjutsu, right? Um, and I've done that martial art for, what year is this? Uh, so around 25 years. Um, it also incorporates a parent paradigm and what's interesting about that particular martial art is when you get past the physical skill set uh into the historical cultural context and you read things like the best and shukai and and the shononinki and some other historical works that refer to medieval japan's actual use of ninja it shows a a an emergent tradecraft worldview and application that parallels the ones today. So that's a, a really fascinating journey all by itself. But that's on, you know, on the Eastern martial arts, because I'm also a use of force trainer, combatives instructor to the military and law enforcement. And my my real passion now is Western martial arts or specifically HEMA, historical European martial arts. And if so, it, uh, the, the long sword, the rapier, uh, setting guys like, uh, you know, Fiore de la Berry, uh, Capo Ferro, those kinds of guys, and that's an emergent phenomenon. And the similarities there are striking as well, which speak to there's a perennial tradition, you know, of the in the esoteric world, both Eastern and Western esoteric paradigms. There's also a perennial tradition in historical martial arts, be they Eastern or Western. There's just some universal truths that are that emerge from that. And it's cool to see multiple people from multiple sport historical contexts speak to these truths. Right, right. And so when we look at these, if we follow that, that, uh, that line of thought there, these multiple truths, one could argue for multiple lines of, 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 you could say, paths that converge to the same or some sort of center point of what we could call the truth. Do you find that having, um, for example, a, uh, a mindset or an analytical skill of being able to assess and not just assess, but analyze and even perhaps visualize different patterns of those different truths. Yeah, pattern associations. So, I mean, I, I, I've come to a number of conclusions now having had my own experiences and been invested in the topic for decades, these multiple convergent topics and seeing their relationships to one another. That... You know, we, we have to sort of talk both philosophical and metaphysical on, at a certain point. And I also believe that's kind of one of the points of the phenomenon. The phenomenon is creating and forcing a circumstance where, where you know, linear algorithmic thought is forced to confront, uh, you know, topics that would normally uh, not address. There was a point in human history when, you know, Art, science, religion, and magic were all one thing. Yes. And then I, there's a divergence, especially from, you know, post-industrial slash post-dispensationalist Christianity, in which these 
this worldwide becomes compartmentalized. Um, and the phenomenon is forcing uh, the context in which we have to, people who would who are hard reductionists who want nothing to do with uh, the humanities or non, you know, non-algorithmic, non-linear thinking, not, you know, or uh, topics like that, they have to, you know, they have to look at them. They have, this has to be, you can't understand the phenomenon without being holistic uh, and, and multidisciplinary in your approach. I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I did want to ask if I may from, and I think you're in a very unique position uh, to be able to answer this question, if you'd be willing to, which is that it's been speculated and modeled. And again, to be fair for the audience that's that's going to be watching and listening at a later date, this is this has been debated, sutured, speculated. It's not in you know stone cold fact, but there's some that that will argue that it takes uh, two to three at most generations to make a collective. Uh, whether a tribe, city, group, you name it, uh, forget their past. If if one is, if something is manipulated in a particular regard or manner, yes, uh, it takes yeah. at least a generation. And it's funny you mention that because we can move the discussion to a completely different talk with topic like counterinsurgency and the political viability of insurgencies and, and counterinsurgencies and why they often why the you know the the West doesn't have stomachs for it. Because uh, the truth is, in an insurgency or a counterinsurgency, it takes an entire, especially in a counterinsurgency, it takes an entire generation to enforce whatever normal you're trying to enforce. You have to have another, you have to have a generation of kids who grow up under the new normal, and you have to keep it that that con that circumstance safe and secure the entire time. And no one has the stomach for that. Do you think uh, there's not an insurgency in history that isn't bloody and cruel? That's just how they go. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and so when you look at, you know, again, we're getting off topic, we look at like the fall of Kabul and, and, and Afghanistan changing hands yet again. Uh, yet again, we didn't uh, lose on the ground. We lost politically. Uh, just like the conflict in Southeast Asia, or not just like it, but very similar. If we, um, sorry, Jeff, if we viewed this on a grander, on a macro scale, which I know that when we chat quite often uh, off the record, we, we do that, uh, both you and I, uh, we discuss those angles quite often. Um, from a, a macro scale, whether it's, for example, and I, I mean this to those watching or listening uh, with the utmost respect as to the neutrality of the polit politicization of the view here, whether it's things like, January 6th, whether it's things like the fall of Kabul, things like this. Do you think we're seeing a, um, for lack of a better term, a uh, uh, spiritual immaturity in people, even including, in, you know, in myself and others collectively? And I say spiritual for lack of a better term to describe a non nuts and bolts, non computational, we could say, I, I, I think it would be unfair to, to to paint with that broad of a brush. But I will say and it's less about the spirituality, which is starting to finally emerge in, in a more perennial way, which is what is necessary. But I think that there is a, a cultural immaturity, um, but, which we see repeated. And that's not just, you know, you know, let's say my, it's not just your generation, it's my generation and younger who have a, a, a you know, who are on one side of the fence, so to speak, the hippies, right? And on the other side, the the you know the conservatives and the traditionalists, they're they're just as culturally immature. So both parties are culturally immature, and it speaks to one of the ails I think of our species, is that we've advanced in certain ways. I mean, we're we're basically, you know, dangerous, powerful toddlers. I would agree. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to, and we're now being forced in this moment in history to really confront that. I mean, when we look about Ukraine, I mean, I'm, I'm of Putin's generation. When I, when I, I joined with my parents, you know, permission at the age of 17 in 1984, he was a young KGB officer. So we come from the same kind of, he's, he's got a few years on me, but we come from the same, right? you know, you know, uh, generation or chronological uh 
peers. And you find a, a clear d a differentiation in ideology between the generations. And then that would, um, if I may add, and please tell me if you think I'm off here, I think that becomes, and I apply this to my generation, you know, 40 years from now, I think it becomes quite dangerous if and when the technology of any given generation is moving much faster than the ideological culture of that generation. Would you agree with that or? Yeah, without question. I mean, I think it was Carl Sagan who said that the sad truth is the universe may be littered with the carcasses of dead civilizations that never make it past this point. I mean, and you know, and it goes to the immaturity of the narrative. When you look at ufology, people want to lionize or vilify either ourselves as a species or the phenomenon, and neither is an appropriate choice. So we got to get out of this bumper sticker thinking, this cartoonish two-dimensional caricatures that we speak in. Um, what do you say, Jeff? If, if, sorry, please. Well, I was just going to say there, there's there's most likely just born of subject-object dichotomy. If we look at the evolution of consciousness from unconscious wholeness through to conscious differentiation, finally to reattain uh, unitive consciousness through conscious wholeness, right? So that's a natural trajectory uh, that mirrors the cell, my mitosis, and then and then to a greater a greater whole after having differentiated, right? That uh, that's just on order with nature. So, as how good or how bad our species is, it's just natural. And any phenomenon interacting with us is going to understand this natural trajectory of sentience. Right now, what what do you say? And this is the part where I may actually this may be a bit of a curveball, but what do you say to the average person that may want to ask you right now? To those that are listening, uh, because of your background expertise in in the various fields you've served in, um, which I thank you for extensively. What do you say to those that say, um, "Well, Jeff, sir, um, okay, this is all fine and dandy, but you know, why won't um, why won't a craft come land on the White House lawn?" Right. So, uh, you know, one real quick, easy thing to research to use as an analogy, and I don't remember their name, but there's there's a there's a handful of living extant tribes in the world, Neolithic peoples still living and operating. One of them is the tribe of the Amazon and society as a whole, certainly the the governments and researchers, et cetera, they've taken a hands off approach. You know, they've said. They have, have had little to no contact with the outside world. We need to keep it that way and allow their culture to flourish. Um, because the minute we do, the minute the phenomenon lands on the White House lawn, our culture stops. Yeah. We are a cargo cult from that point forward. We are a client state from that point forward. Right. So whether you want to say the, the phenomenon are good guys or bad guys, in either case, they at least have the wisdom to know that psychophants and minions aren't useful. Right. So I see what you're and saying. Look, and just look at ufology. It's becoming a UFO religion. Yeah. it's Already it's... we're proving how immature and unuseful we are. Right. I Yeah, I agree very strongly. It's become a... a I mean... I hate to say it, but would you agree, sir, that if if one wanted to, and this is pure speculation, hypothetical, uh, but if one wanted to, say, for lack of a better term, stir shit up within the community, we've we perhaps may have seen that be the case in the last many six to twelve months. If there was some nefarious entity or group looking to use social media to to cause division, it would just be asking. It would take very basic questions and just kind of throw it all over the place in an attempt to. Yeah, it's, that's worth talking about because we can we can. This is one of the and this goes, you know, to the to the human nature. So, you know, I have to be careful and and not admonish I mean, part of just part of my own personal practice. Right. My day begins with two things, you know, prayer meditation, usually on two themes, gratitude and also forgiveness of subjectivity, right? So we're all human beings, we all want validation, uh, et cetera, but this leads to certain unconscious behaviors. And what is frustrating is that the people who talk about consciousness the most and non-dualism the most are the most unconscious, the most so quickly ready to adopt an us versus them narrative 
are the most judgmental and speak the most about things they know nothing about. Right, <laughs> right. It's, just, it's, it's, it's the exact opposite of what they portray. Are there things, sir, and I'm not looking for specificities here in this question, but are there, are there, for example, tactics or for maybe lack of a better term, life hacks, if you want to call it? And I'm trying to, I'm asking this question for those that have not um, been involved in, in fields such as yours. Are there, uh, for example, tricks, life hacks, or little, whether psychological, physical, or otherwise, that you, in your opinion, um, have would assume that certain individuals for example whether in the ufo community or even in other industries and communities have fallen for quite easily that had they had your type of training you could have sure. said i mean i mean yeah. it'd be longer if we had more time i'd talk about clandestine imperatives and 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 communication let's go back to to the beginning and look at uh intelligence involvement with ufology without question that has occurred in multiple instances. And when you go back and look at the extant, you know, material from the Robertson panel forward, the government tells you they're going to do it and they do it. When it comes to, uh, you know, a lot of the extrapolation from there, it's that second, third order of effect. It's like a, we're going to jump into another paradigm, right? About initiating a firefight on some part of a defense somewhere. And you may only show up, fire a couple shots and leave. Long after you've left, they're still shooting at nothing. Uh, and so when you look at ufology, because people are very undisciplined in the way they research things, because they know nothing about the unfun stuff, the mundane stuff. They can't actually tell you how the government works. They don't know what the intelligence process is. They just paint in these broad, you know, broad brush cartoons about what they think what the world is. And then they spin off wildly. Right. Um, so the the moments in history, so there is no such thing as a disinfo agent, right? There's, that, that does not exist. However, legitimately, there are campaigns of influence. And for a campaign of influence to be initiated, it will have specific end states and goals in mind. Levers it will uh, manipulate one way or another with a specific end state that it's tr trying to achieve. It's not just, hey, go mess with the U UFO, UFO people. In other words, it's there's an end. There's an end objective. Correct. Uh, and there, are, there is an atmospheric measure they're trying to change um for better or worse and, and without question that's happened and there's no right. doubt in my mind that's happened i i don't have any firsthand experience of it but i'm pretty sure when i look at the history you know of of the conversation to now that's occurred and it's understandable i i know what the thinking would have been and why they would have done it because again they tell you they tell you right up front that they're concerned about um how the phenomenon will damage and affect our perceptions of the Soviets and vice versa and our ability to read them uh, during the Cold War. Um, they would, just tell you and would then you, they do it. Would you say that by by the, the idea or the even action or development of whatever, whether it's a, a larger or smaller campaign of influence, again, just hyper speculation here, the fact that the that society is told at some point and then it is executed slowly or you know over x amount of time do you think that the short the shortened attention span particularly by the average person in the west is part of that issue absolutely um and 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 look they you know a a campaign of influence will have targeted targets and specific mechanisms to achieve those targets and also will have subjects of subjects of the of, of the influence um, and so they'll, they'll take a measured approach, but the problem with ufology is that once that happens, the ufology just runs with it and wrecks itself. In other words, you're saying the seed just needs to be planted and then it'll, yeah, it's just yeah. not hard. It's just not hard at all. Uh, right. and so at this point it's, it's the ufology affecting ufology. Right. So you so would you suggest and I don't mean to speak for you here, but would you suggest finding common points of interest for those that are vehemently in disagreement on certain things and go working from there? 
Well, we could we could take let's step out of the that conversation and say in general, that should be the point of negotiation, right? And unfortunately, we've become a society that begins with polarization. Let's start with, with the things we don't agree on and start arguing right up front. And what we should be doing, you know, what previous generations did actually. I mean, say what you will about Reagan. The one thing he was really good at was sitting down literally at the dinner table with his political adversaries. Uh, yes. You won't see that now. You won't see that now in any way, shape, or form. Um, so I would say yes to begin, uh, not just in this topic, but in any topic. Let's start with the things we agree on, because, again, there's these subjective and objective truths, and it's important to entertain both simultaneously. This goes back to what I was saying about being able to, and why there needs to be a dedicated intelligence effort, and this not simply a scientific one, in the private sector, in the hands of the people. Because right. data analysis is one thing, traffic analysis is something else. And there's enough, there are uh, enough intelligence professionals out there now who've offered their input coming from different uh, different angles in, on, the, on the, in the discipline, core discipline of intelligence, that, that it could be done. There's, there's enough resource in human capital there now with, with expertise that it could be done. And it's necessary because there are scientific efforts that go into that are doing really great data capture without question. I mean, there are some good things about ufology, data capture being one of them. Um, and they're doing analysis on on capabilities. But there's when you begin to look at the 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 phenomenon, you understand that it's that's long it's longitudinal uh, semiotic messaging, right? It speaks through actions and it's sort of an almost a passion play of events causing you to inf to make certain inferences and that is the communication your inferences the i want i want i have thank you for bringing that up the inference by definition is the communication which would then lead one to then think okay what have i taken away from that communication what have i learned from it that has now that i can then apply to myself and if i apply it to myself it can then ripple and reciprocate via my actions in public if this right. Is, so right. The, the other thing to understand, too, is being able to be multiscalar in this uh, or, you know, perhaps uh, scale invariant in that uh, as, as and this goes back to, you know, basic hermetic, you know, uh, euphemisms as above, so below, as within, so without. As with the individual, so to the collective, right? So when we can look at the end effects on individuals, and then we can also understand one way to see this simultaneously, not one or the other. That's the other thing people must learn to do is not choose this over that, but it's this and that. Right. I So if you see humanity as a collective, as as a unconscious collective as part of a great new sphere then the novel inputs of the phenomenon are firing these synaptic chains which are driving towards the conscious new sphere right and collectively it, that would i see it's sort of like you're filling up the juice of a battery to hype up the fear so by definition as as a whole there's well, not no just even the fear the fear of the wonder that more important than than any of those things um is 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 the novelty of like that doesn't work in the world as i understand it yet there it is it's right. that effect right right so with that said following along the same the same uh, same line of, of of discussion and thinking this idea of being able to analyze, for example, say at my water bottle here that I'm holding up for those watching on video, there's X amount of data one can extract from the water bottle. Once the data is extracted from the bottle, there's X amount of ways to then view the data via and then X from viewing the data, there would be X amount of ways to uh, extract certain patterns from that data set and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, the it's not even just the data, right? So with the data is part of it, right? But now the observer is also part of the data. 
and we can't escape that. And so um, understanding the observer as part of the input, part of the equation is critical to understanding the phenomenon. And I, oh man, thank you so much for bringing that up. The observer is part of the data. So now as a pattern analyst, would you then look, for example, say I come to you, I say, Jeff, man, holy crap, I saw this craft and I got, I got it on thermal, I got it on this, I got it on that, whatever. You would then factor in in your analysis, my report, I guess you could say, uh, interpretation and collection and understand that it is just one angle of that event yeah uh yeah i mean i mean just to go back to my own experiences again i you know my own experiences there's been a handful of time times when the phenomenon occurred in such a way that there were other witnesses or people who could verify but the majority of the time uh outside of those that those handful of its of events the experiences were either solo or noetic in nature, in which case there's no way I can collaborate them. So what I was left with and what I encourage people in this to do, and no one does, and it speaks to, again, the many ails of the human condition where the human psyche is now, is this should begin with rigorous self-assessment. Right. Before you right. even look at the phenomenon, rigorous self-assessment now when um, you say rigorous self-assessment jeff i'd like i'd like to speak on behalf of the the viewer listener that says jeff sir oh i appreciate you saying that but what do you mean by that in practicality right so understanding your own uh, motivations inputs and biases right so to, to kind of simplify it and step back out um if your head is filled with cartoons then the phenomena is going to speak to you in cartoon you provide the lexicon for it uh and even when you may be encountering an archetype or an experience or a circumstance which wouldn't have legitimately been a part of your upbringing or your thinking or your predilection i assure you in a collective sense it was right right and that's the extraction or analysis of a pattern but the pattern first needs to like the, the the pattern only comes from the the you could say the discernment or analysis of that data so one then needs to look at that pattern and say okay this is not something that is just you know just started happening to me last six months if i really think and look back this started happening you know five years old ten years old would i be correct in right so so not just not just in the experience the phenomenon that's true and so there's reason to believe one of the conclusions i've come to is that part of our ability to categorize and assess the phenomenon revolves around the fact that that, that our understanding of reality itself is broken and we don't understand correctly reality itself because of that we will be hard pressed to to in an inner way interact with the phenomenon in a way that's actual consistent repeatable etc some have without question some have built a relationship without question but but uh in that circumstance a language had to be built right a language had to be and so a lot of times that language involves the phenomenon saying okay i'm going to teach you how to speak or I'm going to speak with the lexicon of, you know, the vocabulary that you provide. Right. So it's sort of like input output, so to speak. Well, well you know, one of those two things, you know, occurs and that's okay because that in and of itself, in and of itself becomes an almost, a, a, you know, has almost psychotherapeutic value when you see these are types reflected back to you they're telling you something um and, and that also too shouldn't at the same time all of that is true and this is what i mean by by multiple levels of narrative simultaneously you must see them all simultaneously uh which is the you know which is the the challenge right but also one of the chief benefits uh of of our grappling with the phenomenon is to be able to understand read see act upon multiple levels of narratives simultaneously yes you are 
an autonomous flesh bot, you know, object operating in the world apparently of self-volition. You are also a gradient of differentiation from a greater whole, and you are not separate, right? So both those seemingly paradoxical truths are true simultaneously. And we must be able to do that, and most people can't. Most people see closure immediately. Most people want a label. Most people want an us versus them narrative. Most people want the first thing that gives them closure and makes them feel better. Which is why ufology, UFO Twitter, YouTube is filled with all these space opera narratives. Because the phenomenon will just give you the space opera. So when you say, Jeff, to your point, when you say that our reality is broken, I don't mean to spli uh, split hairs here. With our that. understanding of reality is broken. Oh, excuse me. Thank you. Our understanding of reality is broken. Now, if I if I may correlate that directly to, I was actually going to correlate it to what you had just brought up by, I guess by fluke, you brought up the same thing. I think of, for example, this idea of, you know, Maxwell's demon as above, so below. This idea that if you have, again, you know, red, blue, whatever, positive, negative, you name it, there seems to be from either respective side, and it's not fair for me to say there's just two, but we'll stick with this for the sake of the example, people are moving away from each other instead of trying to find the common points of, we could say, right. yes, uh, you know, and we spoke about this, you know, before about the dialectic, right, you know, a subject object totality, you know, synthesis you know or, or thesis antithesis and, and synthesis and um that's not on an individual level or a collective level that's not useful uh but yes we are becoming increasingly polarized uh and it it's 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 because it's uh the the hemispheric bridge which reduces this cosmic cognitive dissidence isn't being built to being built to the degree it should and that's what's necessary would you would you say that the external societal influences whether regardless of industry or area of life as we as we know it are fostering that in order for us to unfortunately um not look to look there like fostering an angle that prevents us from focusing on that or right so that's and that goes back to to the emergent pattern as the ultimate controller versus the chains right. of culpability people keep trying to apply. Right. Uh, the pattern is true. So your average, average conspiracy theorist sees the pattern and that pattern may be accurate and they can see the pattern, but then they keep trying to insert human agency as if there's this longitudinal chain of causality reaching back directly so that the 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 eight men in the secret vault underneath the pentagon have had are the heir apparents to this long tradition which is direct in in application or in communication that's not true what is true is the pattern can we speak to the pattern perhaps of and i i appreciate you bring that up the whole concept of you know but you know few guys you know rubbing their hands in a dark room type scenario Com relative to or compare as opposed to rather perhaps for lack of a better explanation an archetypal sort of uh we could Correct. say i mean we spoke about this before one of the conclusions i've come to is that there are unseen forces that operate on human history and that have been with us this entire time this is okay this is something that i appreciate mr jacques valet very much for discussing and writing about in all of his books whether recent or, or older which is the idea that mr valet likens the concept of carl jung's 12 i think archetypes to the closest to being a resemblance of what this potential alleged energy or energies are as they've sure. been I mean, i'm sort of a fan of the memphis theology the egyptian Ennead, but but right. you know any of those can be applicable and here's the thing that this goes to the brokenness of our understanding of reality the archetypical the mythological and the real are all the same thing mm. wow okay i'm taking i'm taking that in in real time man <laughs> what yeah yeah that's that's very right and what can you elaborate on that when you say the same thing sure um Let's let's look at this from another direction. 
Let's go back to the nuts and bolts side and the trajectory of civilizations for a second. Um, because that's the way this works. I can use, and this is one thing that I learned in, this, in the disciplines I teach, right? Because I teach some paracausal stuff at times. And they're a part of the traditions. I've more than one tradition I've been a part of. And I've learned through languaging, I can, I can teach you something that could be called sh shamanism. And I can do it in such a way as I never use those words. I can, like one of the things I have training in is neurolinguistic programming, right? Neurolinguistic programming can be argued to be a form of shamanism, depending on your perspective and how you look at it. Heiss or CE5, that can be argued to be a form of neo-shamanism, even conjuration in the ceremonial magic sense depending on your context and the way you choose to see it. So going back to offering a nuts and bolts uh, narrative or description of the trajectory of a civilization through consciousness and time, it's one way of explaining something else that I could explain differently. But it is that, is that parody, the, 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 the holofractal parity in both the algorithmic to the nonlinear which is what's necessary to understand the phenomenon. You cannot simplify this topic and you must be forced to grow neurologically. And so the people who want dumbed down, feel good. I want to feel like I'm, there's the Galactic Federation and the Guardians of Light and I'm on their side as the evil bad government. That's fucking naive and childish. So to this see the world that way. Would you agree? Would you say, Jeff, that if there was and pure, you know, hypothetical hyper speculation here, if there was a form of a galactic federation of sorts, give or take, would you be um, more to subscribe to the the concept that this federation, if they ever were to communicate with with someone, would be more so that their communication is not to save us, but rather to allow to give us the knowledge to save ourselves, perhaps. Going back to the tribe in the Amazon. Okay, let's say you're one of the watchers of the tribe. Sure. sure. Now you see, let's say they have a subset of that tribe or even maybe another tribe that is a, a, a chronological or technological peer. And and, and I forgot the name of the tribe. There's a couple tribes in Africa that are like this. And they have their wars. But you have a fair... Uh, estimate of the situation as to what damage that's going to do so you leave them alone you don't interfere okay now flash forward you know something about the environment or or, or the the weather or something which you realize is an existential event to them right right like okay we were hands off and they can kill each other in the little ways they do so but this may destroy them all. So we need to carefully mitigate this through their evolution by introducing novel inputs, which lead them to come to certain conclusions. Or if that doesn't work, we're just going to have to show up and tell them, but we're going to have to reduce into ontological shock as much as possible. So the way we're going to do that is we're going to use a near peer. So it wouldn't be... Uh, chief scientist from the Smithsonian who flies down there to talk to the Amazon tribe, what he's going to do is find another tribe that's like them and say, yep, these guys, you know, uh, they know about us and they're part of the modern world, but they're still tribal enough to have a frame of reference to this other tribe that knows nothing about the Western world. So that we would choose to interact to a near peer. And wow, you've literally described, if I may say, at least in my opinion, my perspective, what many people have said to me and what I've read as well, both on and off the record, this of what's been communicated to them, whether telepathically or, you know, astrally or physically in the material or otherwise, you name it, this idea that the communication is, 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 is 
is coming from a being as if that being is facil facilitating the communication, whereas the being is not the source of that message. And I find that quite, I appreciate that because this speaks to the idea that, again, if we stick with this tribe example, you would go and approach if you had to, if, if say time was of the essence and you didn't have much of it either, um, putting aside all the you know science of manipulating time, all that stuff, you would probably go to the tribal leaders first. Am I correct? Before going to the rest of them? Maybe. Okay. Let's say there's more than one tribe, and man is nothing if not tribal. So it's right. You know, uh, so you may you know go to the leadership, but you would go to the leadership simultaneously, right? If you were trying to influence them, if this was a Promethean narrative, and we were giving them fire, we may have them accidentally find fire. But we would have them find fire in multiple locations simultaneously. Huh. The reason we would do that is because we understand, and this, this is again where we need to get out of these immature, self-victimizing narratives like humans are so horrible. No, it's natural. What we're experiencing is natural. Do any, just a, a cursory survey of the psychology in primates. And guess what? This is what people don't realize. Apes make war. Right, right. So, and the, if I may ask very quickly, the the fire giving all of them their own little thing, a piece of fire that that would ensure, I would imagine, the same way we talk about mutually assured destruction these days with nukes. It's just kind of like give them all. If they're going to crack it, you might as well give all of them a little bit of it, so that they at least come to their senses that they won't destroy each other. So, if you understand this, 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 the the a, a stasis that is conflict, and that is human history for the most part, by and large, right? So. Again, this goes to this this need to stop telling these fairy tales about ourselves and others, and that you have, the, you know, the modern culture telling these feel good stories about the tribal past bullshit. Do a little bit, just a little bit of forensic anthropology, and you realize the history of Homo sapiens sapiens on all continents is absolutely awful. Yeah, right, right. That's the truth. Now, once you accept that. Okay, we've been at this. All peoples, indigenous or otherwise, have been at this all the time. Once you accept that, say, okay, there's an actual trajectory forward. We're still awful, but contrary to what people say about their fear of transhumanism, when you take a sincere look, a real look at history, yes, things are bad, and there are certain people who are suffering horribly under failed states. But by and large, the world is better. This is People a to live longer. And as much as I need would say we need to get out of a purely Cartesian model, there is good who's that's come from Cartesian thinking. And and so once you can once once we mature, it's a it's time for this whole conversation to be populated with adults. Right. And now the question, and I wonder what happens when if adults approach, you could say the children and the children think that maybe I'm just, you know, this is one amongst many, the children then say to the adults, well, I don't believe you're adults, you must be children dressed as adults. And it's kind of like when as the actual adults, you kind of like look at each other like, okay, what, what do we do with, with with these people, right? And when I say these people, I'm just talking about hypothetical, but you see where I'm going with this? It's kind of like, right. So uh, first off, you're just going to, you're just to, to, because what's important is the change you're affecting, not actually the truth of who you are. And so if you're the adult trying to affect this child and ensure the child doesn't hurt itself or someone else, and the child keeps talking about the Energizer Bunny, okay, we're the Energizer Bunny. There, that's the narrative he'll bite onto. This is what I want you to know about reality. We'll just go ahead and be whoever you need us to be. Holy because crap. I didn't get that... back to because I didn't get back to what is what is the what are the conditions that establish this this context? Because everything I just said about them being the energizer bunny is equally true and not true. And I'll tell you why. When we right. look at the trajectory of sentience of consciousness, and we see it in a collective sense of civilizations. I mean, we've talked about. Plenty of scientists and, and sociologists talk about what are these landmarks of, of positive change. 
that change the trajectory of a culture or civilization and 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 those expressed in technologies i mean we we know some of them superluminal travel obviously uh renewable energies you know that, that has an amplitude beyond what we experience today in renewables right uh those are the obvious things if we're talking about informational singularity in quantum computing, right? Well, it's my belief that quantum computing will lead us to two other landmark technologies, right? The, you know, non-corporal transfer of consciousness, which there's been discussions about. And right now, the it's my understanding, I'm no scientist, my understanding is even, even in theoretically where there's been discussions about this, there's still, high, you know, highly like you know, uh, likely packet loss, for lack of a better way to say it, not a clean transfer. We have examples of clean transfer that happen organically when you're born and when you die. That's clean transfer. But we we don't have um, working models that I'm aware of. Maybe in some secret laboratory somewhere. But no, no <laughs> one's been able to do it. Uh, you know, successfully in totality. And then the other one is time travel, what we call time travel, right? And so there are still scientists who say that time travel is a mathematical impossibility. There are other scientists physics, and this is you well know, because I know this is something you've looked at. And I do not consider myself educated enough to have the argument. However, no worries. I've pursued this, this topic enough to know that there are scientists on both sides of the argument. So a lot of my own assessment when i know it's well out of my wheelhouse i say okay i i don't consider myself qualified to even have the discussion however i know that there are subject matter experts who are and who take this position as well right so time travel being one of them there are some who say no actually it's no longer a theoretical problem it's an engineering problem because the theory says the math says especially in string theory the math says we can achieve this and this this comes back to this idea of, of of uh string theory versus block universe right can i also say it, it, very quickly jeff to to your point this also speaks to the idea that again it takes time and progress from one group of individuals in this case the science to in the sciences to suture the theoretical models to then approach the engineers years later which it usually takes years to get this going and say okay it can be done now if we that's just a that's a dare dare i say a hollow fractal subset of what we just discussed collectively as a society there's no in, in many ways yes in many ways right. yes and right. so um this maturation process is is a part of what the phenomenon is executing and and but but i think we need to go back i mean let me first finish with the trajectory of civilization first but then we'll go back to because there's also subjective very subjective realities to this which should not be ignored and certainly um the trauma that many have experienced from this especially those who consider themselves you know abductees i would never ever 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 want to minimize what they have experienced only to say that reality isn't what we think it is so i have no doubt of their experience and their narrative i doubt this very thing to include you and me yes I, yep. I began to think that this isn't what this the thing is the thing that's not real right but anyways um well, like that kid song roll your boat life is but a dream <laughs> right right so so when we look at the trajectory of a civilization those are the two you know final hurdles to getting to the new paradigm their new paradigm right time travel and the ability to use to move maneuver consciousness outside of a corporal form once those two things are achieved that civilization is no longer historical because it's moved on that civilization now becomes the thing that always was and always will be but never actually is there wow. is a high likelihood that at the culmination of time and space the true final unity consciousness is conscious wholeness a meta civilization of civilizations that have achieved this. So they're non-corporal now and they're and they're transtemporal, which means that they can move outside of time now, it's just another direction. Like head three blocks north, turn left, and head three weeks past. It's just another cardinal direction for them. Which means 
they may seek to invest in corporal life again. They may also be the whole-on intelligence, which is both individual and collective, that, for lack of better words, can be called the Elohim. We may be evolving to our origin. Because our origin is outside of time and space. Jeff, brother, I, 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 I know we can go on forever. I was wondering if we could stop it there because that was so well said. I appreciate that perspective. I think that's something that is, in my humble view, substantially lacking from whether it's the community in the, on the UFO side, UAP side, or even at large. Um, but I don't mean to cut you off abruptly. Was there anything else that you wanted to address before we wrap this up? No, but I mean only to say it's extraordinarily complex because the phenomenon you know may give you i don't think the experiences i believe and we can talk about more complex and more disturbing to me i mean more disturbing to me than the than the alien narrative itself is the my lab narrative that's the narrative that really pisses me off and i want to get my hands on right the, the alien narrative i sort of expect you know like ah i would expect it to behave certain ways we would behave certain ways um, but the, the thing is, the scenario I just described, non-corporal, trans-temporal, and when we add to that the ability finally coming to the understanding of our of our cosmo-theological cosmo constant, the triad, panpsychic monism, emanation theology, and the primacy of consciousness, we now get to a place that they can probably manifest from the from the raw substrate which is probably proto-consciousness of reality itself in which case when they tell you they're from planet x they're not lying they've decided to make that true for you <laughs> right i see right 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 i it doesn't benefit them in any yeah right because they have the ability to move from the implicit order to the explicit order and there's something i call the angel feather effect which means that if something manifests from the implicit to the explicit non non-corporal to the corporal it brings with it its whole chain of causality so an angel manifests before you in all of its glory and majesty it's an awe-inspiring, terrifying experience. The angel's 10, you know, 15 foot tall, glowing, got wings. A feather falls off the angel's wing. The angel disappears, right? You pick up the feather and you have it analyzed and it's 8 billion years old. And, you know, you have it carbon-14 dated and all that stuff. None of that was true because the angel was originally non-corporal. When the angel dropped the feather for you, it dropped with it an entire chain of causality. So let's go over here to crash retrievals and looking at materials, they may trying to back, they're trying to back engineer something that fell out of the mind of God, which is inspiring in and of itself, but extraordinarily difficult. And so- This reminds I, me of Jacques Vallée, his gifting fields, he called it, that, that things would be intentionally, he hypothesized, left for us to set off a chain of events. Right. So if you're the phenomenon, you look down on a planet filled with a bunch of warring apes that, that you know have a beautiful potential because they're still the divine spark. You're like, okay, we want to nudge their thinking, but we want to control ontological shock and acculturation. So how are we going to do that? Well, we know if we give each of their major powers crash spaceships, they will pursue relentlessly the secret of those spaceships they will also relentlessly keep it a secret. Right, right. So you're you're already by through understanding the, the we could say the controller moderator or the phenomenon itself is by definition using a larger uh, macro set or even still subset of pattern analysis to then apply to what they're going to do in this regard with respects to chain of causality. The phenomenon are the masters of stimulus and response. I mean, to to, the, to 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 me, that's awe-inspiring, even more awe-inspiring than their propulsion and their transmedium travel is their ability to operate in the domain of consciousness in such a way that, I, and, and we'll, we'll, maybe next time we'll talk more about 
the establishment and the intelligence community for sure dealing with the phenomenon. Sure. What are some of the implications of that? Um, but the phenomenon are absolute masters at stimulus and response and using applied pressure through presence to affect change. You cannot beat them. They will win. If if the phenomenon wants disclosure, guess what? We're getting disclosure. And any silly little human that wants to argue one way or another doesn't matter. If the phenomenon wants disclosure, we're getting disclosure. If the phenomenon only wants partial disclosure, we're getting partial disclosure. If the phenomenon wants no disclosure, we're not getting disclosure, period. End of story, full stop. Because they are that masterful in applying stimulus. And most people are fucking unconscious. Brother, that I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I would dare to say, I think you would agree very strongly that this is that is one of the reasons amongst many that uh, I appreciate us, you know, doing this, but I appreciate you having the 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 courage to come forward in the manner that you have. Um, so with that said, if you had any final words before we wrap this up, I just truly, man, I want to thank you on behalf no. of the audience. We'll we'll do another one. Yeah, we'll I hope my ranting doesn't lose you viewership. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're here. The channel is about it's a freedom of, you know, freedom of speech, discussing things in different perspectives. This is not at all, man. Not at all. If if that if don't worry, that's that's my problem. Don't worry about that. Thank you so much, as always. Yeah, thank you, sir.